Hey guys, welcome back to episode 9 of the Mysterious Benedict Society Read Aloud Podcast, book 2. Today we'll be reading chapter 9, but first a recap of chapter 8. So the children finally had a visit with Captain Nolan over a cup of navy coffee, which was a very unpleasant thing according to Rennie and Kate. Before they could explain about Mr. Benedict, however, the ship had a big lurch, and from that lurch we found out the diamonds and the fake diamonds were mixed together while being examined by the bullfrogs, as Cannonball calls them. After hearing about this accident and Mr. Benedict, the captain is quite distraught, but he says he does have the second clues for them. Rennie has an idea to fix the mix-up diamond problem, and Constance tries her best to explain her psychic-like ability. So that's all for chapter 8, let's read chapter 9. Chapter 9. Directions, Recollections, and Outstanding Debts Rennie's first waking thought was that he was hungry. He hadn't eaten since the evening before, and it was now, well, what time was it anyways? He had no idea how long he'd slept. At least the sickness had passed. Rennie would choose hunger pangs over sick seasickness any day. Rennie would choose almost anything over seasickness. He, Sticky, and Constance had spent their first night aboard the shortcut, feeling sicker than they'd ever felt. Kate, having shown them to the various bathrooms, slept peacefully in the quiet cabin. When their illnesses finally subsided early that morning, they had all collapsed into their bunks and passed out. Rennie had a vague memory, or was it a dream, of Captain Nolan speaking in hushed tones to Kate at the cabin door, but otherwise he'd been in complete oblivion till now. Rennie's mind moved swiftly to Mr. Benedict and number two. Only three days left, he thought, and the urgency he had felt since yesterday morning gripped him with new intensity. He opened his eyes and sat up. The cabin was dark. Perhaps Kate had taped something over the porthole to help them sleep. No, a glance at the porthole revealed nothing of the sort. He scratched his head and yawned, only to snap his mouth shut, painfully biting his tongue. When Kate sprang up out of the darkness into his bunk, she shone her pen line to his face. What's the matter? Kate asked. Did I scare you? "'Never mind,' said Rennie grumpily. "'What's going on? How long have I been out?' "'Too long. It's evening now. The captain will be here soon.' "'Evening?' "'Yes, I've been going nuts waiting for you to wake up,' Kate said. "'Cannibal let me visit Madge a few minutes at lunchtime, "'but otherwise I've been cooped up in here all day with no one to talk to. "'She's doing fine, by the way. "'Cannibal gives her prime bits of meat from the galley. "'He calls it frog food, and I think she may be falling in love with him.' "'Did the captain come?' Rennie asked, "'or did I dream that?' "'No, he came by this morning. Do you not remember?' "'You sat up growgly and said something like, "'Agnes, then fell back to sleep.' "'Kate thrust a piece of paper at him. "'He brought this. He wasn't sure what it meant, "'but he said he'd think about it today. "'Rennie looked at the paper, but it was too dark to read. "'The captain read this? He didn't wait for us to see it first? "'Well, no,' Kate said. He'd already looked at it. "'I'm sure he just wanted to help.' "'I suppose so,' said Rennie uneasily. "'Rhonda let them open the first envelope.' and so I'd expected Captain Nolan to do the same. But their circumstances had been different at Mr. Benedict's house, when he reminded himself. Anyway, shouldn't he be glad the captain cared? I've been staring at it all day, Kate was saying. It isn't really a riddle at all, more like directions, but I still haven't gotten very far with it. Let me see your pen light, Rennie said, and shining the light into the paper, he read. Well done, my friends, and may your ocean crossing be great fun. Please go down for your hint, then up to where the clues lead you. That's where you'll find the next envelope, Mr. Benedict. The middle of the page was blank except for a wide scorch mark. No lumen juice messages, Kate muttered. Rennie scanned down to the bottom where Mr. Benedict had written the following lines. 
Castle of Sticky's namesake, against westernmost wall, not visible, need tool, olive trees nearby, no cork or pine for two meters. I figure the castle must be on a hill, said Kate, which is why he made such a point of going go up where the clues lead. But I've never heard of a castle named Sticky or George or Washington or anything like it, have you? When he shook his head, I'll bet Sticky has, though. I'll get him up, said Kate, rolling off the bunk. A moment later, Sticky cried out in the darkness, and Rennie heard Kate ask, Did I scare you? Sticky was still grumbling at her when Captain Nolan arrived with their supper. He had brought a tray laden with peanut butter sandwiches, fruit, cookies, and milk. Much to his embarrassment, however, there was no coffee. I'm afraid I left my coffee pot here last night, Captain Nolan said, once they had roused Constance and turned on the light. And Mr. Precious demanded his own pot in his cabin, which left me with no extras. The children, assuring the captain that this was perfectly all right, sat hungrily upon the food. Constance naturally reached for the cookies first. "'I'm glad to see you're feeling better,' said Captain Nolan, who himself seemed in a poor state of health. His uniform was crisp and trim as ever, but he obviously hadn't slept in some time. His shoulders sagged, his eyes were bloodshot and puffy, and he was stifling a yawn as he asked, "'Any luck with the letter? I'm afraid I haven't given a chance much thought.' "'Actually, neither have we,' Rennie said. "'I've only glanced at it, and Constance and Sticky haven't even seen it yet.' He tried to hand the letter to Constance, but she was still very groggy. So groggy she'd forgotten to snatch more than her share of cookies. And she refused to take it. "'I'll look at it later,' she mumbled. So Rennie passed the letter to Sticky, who hardly glanced at it before he exclaimed, "'Hey, this is easy! That castle's in Lipson!' No sooner had the words left Sticky's mouth than Kay was clapping him on the back. So hard he almost choked on a sandwich. And Rennie was saying over and over again, I knew you'd have the answer. His face flushed with excitement. Even Constance showed her appreciation by not flinching Sticky's cookie while he was distracted. They had been in sore need of hope, and Sticky had just delivered it. After they quieted down, Captain Nolan said, Is George your given name, Sticky? It's George, Sticky replied. Oh, of course, said Captain Nolan, looking quite impressed. Sticky already beaming, now possibly to be shown. Would one of you mind explaining to the rest of us, Constance said. St. George's Castle, said Captain Nolan. In Portuguese, it's called Castelo de Sea George. And since it's in Portugal, that's how I always think of it. Where did you learn to speak Portuguese, Sticky? Or should I call you George? Sticky laughed a bit nervously, it seemed to Rennie, and say, I know a lot of languages, it's no big deal, really. Rennie noticed that this was not exactly the answer to Captain Nolan's question, but the captain either didn't notice or didn't care. "'I can imagine why Nicholas chose to send you up there,' Captain Nolan said. "'He loves the view from the castle grounds. Probably wanted to share it with you.' "'So the castle is on a hill,' Kay said. "'I thought so.' "'The highest hill lives in, in fact,' Captain Nolan's tired eyes suddenly looked thoughtful and melancholy, as if he were gazing upon them with a different time. Nicholas and I were up there together once many years ago. He was so moved by the few that he fell asleep and nearly plunged over the castle wall. Oh, I would have never forgiven myself if he had. I had been watching a fairy down on the river and wasn't keeping an eye on him. I should have been paying better attention. What happened? asked Constance, a little short of breath, as if at that very moment Mr. Benedict was about to topple from the precipice. He fell backward instead of forward, as simple as that. He got a rather nasty bump on his head, but when I think of the alternative... Captain Nolan shuddered. Just like that, he said, snapping his fingers, and I would have lost my friend forever. 
to say nothing of all the lives he'd saved that year, and it would have been entirely my fault. Was it the westernmost wall he nearly fell from? asked Rennie. He had a good many questions he wanted to ask. For instance, what was this about Mr. Benedict saving lives? Whose lives did the captain mean? But more pressing at the moment was understanding this clue and what they were to do about it. It was indeed, said Captain Nolan. He yawned and pointed toward his chest. Still tried to the lower bunk. I don't suppose there's any cough left in the pod, is there? Did you finish it off last night? We, uh, we couldn't, Rennie said. We got seasick right after you left. Captain Nolan squeezed past him and opened the chest. Why, there's still a good half pot left. I'm in luck. He wiped out his cup from the night before and filled it with the treachery black liquid. Perhaps being cold and stale improved the coffee's taste, Rennie thought. Certainly it wouldn't make it any worse. Regardless, the captain had forgotten to offer them any, and for this all the children were grateful. Captain Nolan downed half the cup in one gulp, refilled it, then closed the chest and sat on it. Much better, he said. I'm of no use to you if I'm asleep. Now then, as for Nicholas's directions, they all make sense to me now. Things should be pretty straightforward when we get up to the castle. How so? asked Rennie. Well, as you might imagine, there aren't any olive trees in the castle itself, said the captain. So Nicholas has to be referring to the outer wall of the castle grounds, which are rather like a big park. I remember quite a stretch of wall on the western east side, but I was pretty sure these other clues, the description of which trees are nearby and which weren't, will narrow the location down exactly. No doubt we'll see right away where he buried the envelope. We'll look for a spot where the earth has been freshly turned. You think it's buried? Stig asked. Surely that's what Nicholas meant by not visible and need tool. He meant for us to dig. I'll have Joe fetch a shovel as soon as we dock. The children looked at one another with expressions of relief and surprise. Well, that was easy, said Kate, putting the letter away inside her bucket. Now all we have to do is get there. You can leave that to me, said Captain Nolan. I'll radio to had to have a taxi waiting at the docks. We'll waste no time that way. Joe and I will change into civilian clothes, the better to avoid notice, and accompany you to the castle. What do you mean by civilian clothes? asked Constance. Aren't you a civilian? Ha! cried Captain Nolan, scratching his bird. An old habit, Constance. I was in the Navy for so long, I tend to forget things have changed. I only meant to say we won't wear our uniforms. That reminds me, said Kate. Did you say that you and Mr. Benedict met in the Navy? It's a fact, said Captain Nolan. We were naval intelligence together. Of course, this was very long ago. Has Nicholas ever told you? Seeing their blank faces, the captain chuckled and shook his head. It doesn't surprise me. He couldn't have told you much without seeming to brag, and Nicholas is anything but a braggart. I'm perfectly happy to brag on him, though. I used to joke that he saved a hundred lives every morning before breakfast, and the truth wasn't far from that. We were engaged in a terrible war, you see, a long-forgotten war that no one likes to talk about now. And Nicholas was our best codebreaker. Whenever an enemy transmission was intercepted, we brought it straight to him. He usually cracked the code within minutes, if not sooner. All soldiers have avoided any number of surprise attacks, thanks to Nicholas. The children grinned, pleased to hear good things about Mr. Benedict. In his absence, they found themselves especially eager for details about him, as if by gathering details they might in some small way bring him back. "'Didn't you say he saved your life once, too?' asked Rennie. Captain Nolan had just slugged the rest of his coffee and stood to open the chest. He took out the coffee pot and refilled his cup. "'Actually, Nicholas saved my life more than once. The first time we'd been on a secret assignment. It was an unusually important assignment, too. Otherwise, they wouldn't have sent Nicholas, who never did field work. 
His narcolepsy might put him at risk, you see. Well, we managed to complete the assignment, but in the process we were captured by the enemy. I should say I was captured. Nicholas was not. But in order to rescue me, he turned himself over to my captors. Captain Nolan centered on the chest again. I'm sure you're thinking what I was thinking. How on earth did he hope to save me by sacrificing himself? Well, that was when I discovered that Nicholas is the most persuasive man in the world. Mysteriously so. Over the next two days, he spoke with every officer and enemy headquarters. If he couldn't convince one officer of what he was saying, he would switch tactics, arguing that a different officer ought to be sent in to speak with him. One way or another, he always succeeded, and by the end of the second day, he'd found just the right things to say to the right people, and had convinced our enemy that we should be let go. To this day, I can't quite believe it. That's amazing, Kate cried. How did he possibly manage it? I can't say for sure, but I think part of the answer is that people sense something in Nicholas that makes them trust him. And of course, that's with good reason. Compared to Nicholas, even the best of men are untrustworthy. Rennie felt a sudden, unexpected twinge of suspicion. This last statement of the captain sounded rather like justification, as if one could be untrustworthy and still be considered among the best of men. What was more, the captain's expression had sifted subtly in a way that Rennie couldn't quite interpret. Perhaps he'd simply felt jealous of Mr. Benedict's trustworthy character, or of other people's perception of it. That could be a natural feeling for a good man who wished he were more trustworthy. Still, the thought made Rennie uneasy. Sticky, meanwhile, was asking Captain Nolan how else Mr. Benedict had saved his life, and Rennie tried not to set aside his suspicion and listen. He did like Captain Nolan, after all, and if Mr. Benedict trusted him, shouldn't Rennie? He saved me once again by saying the right thing to the right person, Captain Nolan said. This time the person was me. The war had just ended, and Nicholas was leaving the neighbor to return to his research. I was thinking of leaving the Navy myself, for I was extremely miserable half the time. I'd grown up on ships. My father was a merchant sailor. But by the end of this war, I felt I'd missed my calling. How else was I to explain my feeling depressed so much of the time? When I told him this, Nicholas laughed so much he fell asleep. I was fairly annoyed, I can tell you. But then he always did like to laugh. And when he woke up, he apologized sincerely and said, Phil, it isn't being on ships that makes you miserable. It's getting off them. You're always sad when you head for port, and you're sad the entire time you're on land, except for the day you set sail again. The worst thing you could do would be to stay ashore. Well, this was so obvious, a child could have seen it, and I hate to say I almost resented Nicholas for making me feel so dumb. But there it was. He knew me better than I knew myself. As long as I'm at sea, I'm happy, which is why this maiden voyage is so important. I can't afford to lose my reputation as a sea captain. Sending me to shore would be like sending me to my doom. "'Why did you ever leave the Navy, then?' asked Constance. "'I felt I had no choice. They had long wanted to promote me, which seems nice enough until you realize that a promotion would have sent me to a comfortable, highly respected post on land. Torture! I'd always found a way out of it, but finally they insisted. That was when I left the Navy and applied for my current position, which seemed perfect.' The shortcut will be at sea almost constantly. It loads and unloads faster than other ships, so it spends less time in port, and as I told the old nurse. Captain Nolan trailed off, looking sheepish. I've gone on far too long about your poor old captain. It was Nicholas you want to hear about, and rightly so. A better man I've never known, and this despite all manner of ill fortunes, as you children know, to lose his parents so young, and then to struggle so mightily with his narcolepsy. 
I don't mean just a tendency to fall asleep at all times, but oh, the nightmares. Captain Alone rubbed his bloodshot eyes. He looked as though he had endured a night of bad dreams himself. Nicholas and I shared a ship cabin more than once, he said, and the cries of terror he uttered in his sleep were enough to keep me wide-eyed and shivering for hours. He suffered these vaccinations from the phantom creatures almost every night. The old hag, I remember, was the worst. Such a dreadful hallucination I hated even to hear about. Yet, during the day, you'd never guess what he'd been through. Always cheerful, always brave. That's Nicholas. Still, we did hope that one day. Wait! Captain Nolan stiffened so suddenly he spilled coffee on himself. To think, he cried. Oh, where has my mind gone? To think I almost forgot. He looked at the children and he said, Forgive me. I hadn't realized it until this moment, but we have another clue. Thank you.